First Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 3 through 9. You know, I thought the first song was very fitting for the service tonight, for the message tonight. He's a wonderful Savior to me. The title of the message is, This Life Most Precious. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though they be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of of your souls. So again, I titled this, this life, Most Precious. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity that is ours to be gathered here tonight. Thank you for um, the fellowship that we enjoy, the blessings of this day and yesterday and already. And uh, Father, with the privilege we have to worship you and to fellowship one with another. And uh, Lord, we, we, we appreciate it so much. And well, we thank you for the opportunity we have to look in your word that we might grow in our grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and being conformed to the image of his Son. And so, Lord, we pray that you speak to our hearts tonight, just encourage us and challenge us, and help us to truly appreciate this life that we have in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> if you really understand... The life that God gives, I think you would have to come to the conclusion, even though there are trials in life, that the Christian life is the most wonderful life there is. Uh, and Peter here talks about that. Of course, this book you know, talks about persecution and suffering also, and he's going to get to that a little bit more in later, in later chapters. But he mentions that here, even the trial of your faith. But I want to notice three things from this passage tonight, and uh, particularly looking at verses five through four through nine, as we consider this most precious life. First of all, it is a life that it is it is a the eternally preserved life. It's the eternally preserved life. Verses four and five says, "To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away." Reserved in heaven for you. So, you know, Jesus said to, to Martha, the sister of Lazarus, who was dead, in John 11, 25 and 26, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Peter here gives some words describing what we have 
in this eternal life. You know, of course, eternal means it's forever. There's no end to it. And really, there's no beginning because our life is the life of God. Does the life of God have beginning? No, it doesn't. To us, there is a beginning, but to him, there is not. It's an inheritance. That means it's a gift, something God give, has given to us. It's something given as a possession. When somebody gives you an inheritance, it's your possession. John 10, 28, Jesus said, And I give, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. So it is inherent, something giving to us. It is, of course, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is described as incorruptible. Now, I know that's hard for us to understand in this life. But thinking about it from the, the eternal and the spiritual perspective, it is incorruptible. It is not liable to corruption or decay. The only part of the us that is going to corrupt is this shell or tent that we live in. But one of these days, we're going to get one that doesn't corrupt. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery... You know, mystery is something that's not before not known or revealed, but now is revealed. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In other words, we're not all going to die. We're not going to all leave this life through what we call death. Death is, remember, death is just means separation in the Bible. It's, it's, to us, it's sleep. Death is only, this death is only temporary, even for the unsaved, because they're going to spend eternity somewhere. Well, the unsaved are going to spend it in hell. So, so it, it's it, it's uh, uh, we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall put on incorruption, this mortal shall put on immortality, then it shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. See, this corruptible, this, this corruptible body we live in is going to put on incorruption. No more falls, Mrs. Brock. No more aches and pains. No more hurt backs. I experienced that this week. Uh, none of that. No blurred vision. You know, teeth that fall out. Hair that falls out. So anyway, um, starting to relate. So stop. You know, there's not going to be, the, you know, the, the, the body that we're going to get is not liable to corruption. My life as a child of God is not liable to corruption. He says, notice, he says the, the mortal, what, you know, what we're susceptible to death now is going to put on immortality, a body that can not die. So it's incorruptible. 
he also describes it as undefiled. Undefiled. The word undefiled means free from that which by nature of a thing is deformed and debased or its force and vigor impaired. So this new this life that we have, notice I said we have, in Christ is undefiled. You know, this body, you know, what is it that defiles us? What is it that that impairs our force or vigor? Causes us to fall. Why do children go astray from birth? Well, the psalmist said in Psalm 8, 50, 58, verse 3, the wicked are estranged. That word estranged means they turn aside or they depart. They are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. That little granddaughter that I have, she's as cute as a bump on a pickle. And Grandpa could really spoil her. But she's a wicked sinner. And she's already proven it. I've seen it in action. And I pray that Grandpa never becomes one of these Oh, you know, no matter what she does, she's okay. No, she's not. You know, our natural, you know, the problem is that we've got a sin nature. We have a sin nature. And, our, you know, that, that simply means that our natural inclination is to do evil, is to go against God. That's what comes by nature. It's natural to us. Just as natural as it is for a fish to eat worms when you throw one in the water. You know, James 1.14 says every man you know, is drawn away of his own lust in his ties. That's when sin comes in. Every man is drawn away of his own lust. In other words, his own natural inclinations. Now, some people think they're smart and independent and they can do it on their own. They need to realize the only fool is you. You know, the devil will laugh and cooks you all the way to hell. When you get there, you'll want... You'll get what you want, but you'll lose what you had. And that was the opportunity to receive Christ, which will be forever lost. No, but life in Christ is undefiled. In fact, 1 John 4, 18 makes this statement, an interesting statement. I, I'm sorry, it's chapter 5, verse 18. It says that we know that whatsoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Do you realize that in the sight of God, the devil cannot defile us? Because we're seen through the blood of Christ. Our our sin has all been paid for. Past, present, future. It's all under the blood of Christ. And when we shed these vile bodies, we'll receive a new one that was without the sin nature. And, and he goes on and says here, no, no, we undefiled, and that fadeth not away. Now, the, that phrase, fadeth not away, means it is perpetual. Well, that is, it's enduring forever. It's, it'll never lose its luster or its beauty. 
you know, in, in this life, in, in humanity, you know, a, a baby's born and they're all ugly. I know you women think they're all cute, but they're all ugly when they're born. They have no hair. At least very few of them do. Um, I'm just being honest how I see it. They get cute. You know, she's starting to get cute. All right, but I, I'm honest with you. I mean, you know, she's my granddaughter. I didn't think she was cute when she was born. She's helpless. But, you know, they get, they get, they grow up, and, and you know, you, usually they get prettier and prettier or, or more handsome, you know, as they grow older. And then they get to a certain point where it starts to go back the other way. <laughs> the hair changes color, Mrs. Brock said the other night to me. She said, uh, I was holding my granddaughter, and she said, where did you get that red hair? I said, from me. Because, <laughs> see, it used to be that same color. Just about. Uh, you know, you see, it starts going, it starts to fade. You know, everything in this life fades away. Just like the flowers. But, but that will never lose its luster or its beauty. You know, Philippians, uh, Jesus, or, uh, Jude 1 tells us that we're preserved in Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, Paul said this to the church of Philippi, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, God's going to give us a glorious body that will never fade. Never fade. in which we can praise him for all eternity. So, it is the eternally preserved life, but don't you notice, secondly, the effective power of this life. The effective power of this life, verse 5 says, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You know, of course, the proof of this power is the resurrection of Christ. And if you notice back in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So the proof of this power is the resurrection. Uh, Ephesians 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, a couple verses a couple of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. You see, it's the resurrection and the power with the resurrection that proves that he has power over death, hell, and the grave. He has all power. And the resurrection proves it. That's what proves it. He conquered Satan, hell and the grave, once and for all. And this power, this power is available to us through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, Ephesians 1 there, it uses the word wrought. 
rot. That word rot means operative or to be at work. It's used in various other places in the Word of God. And so we have access to this power. Again, it's through obedience to the Word of God. You know, the Word of God, Bible tells us in Hebrews 4.12, the Word of God is quick. That means it's alive. It is powerful. And the word powerful there, the Greek word is enagos. Er, er, not enagos. Ernagos. Which, which we get our word energy from. Um, there's a very similar word in, in uh, Ephesians 2, too, where it says the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Do you ever wear, wonder where these... Um, uh, the world gets their energy. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And that's the word energo or energy. It's come from the devil. So that, that's the, the idea here of the word rot. You know, that's of course a negative thing. This is a positive thing. You know, it's, it's used in First uh, Thessalonians 2.13 where Paul wrote to the church of Thessalonica, and he said, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of man, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh, or effectually is operative, it's at work also in you that believe. So as we believe the word of God, it works. It brings about change in our life. You know, in First Thessalonians four one, as you know, as a result of that, Paul said of them. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. And then in verse ten again, and indeed you do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia. But we beseech you, brethren, that you increase more and more. So he was saying that as they received the word of God, they would increase more and more in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, being conformed to his image. And of course, you know, that in that book, he wrote to them and said that, that they were examples to all the churches in Macedonia, for from them sounded out the word of the Lord. Why, did that, why was that true? Because they received the word of God, and it was working. See, it was changing their lives. It was the power that was bringing about change in their life. And so this is the power, that, is, of course, that keeps us. We don't keep ourselves. God keeps us. We are kept by the power of God. But it keeps us faithful. Hebrews 1.3 says, Who being the brightness of his glory, the express image of his person, upholding all things by the word of his power. It's, again, it's through the word. The word of his power. When he by himself purged our sins, sat down to the right hand of the majesty of high. You, know, you ever think about the fact in Revelation 19 when the Lord comes back and the, and, and the battle of Armageddon, and it, and, it, and, it, and it says there that he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the word of God. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. Ephesians 6 says that the word of God is a sword of the Spirit. 
sword of the Spirit. But again, for this word to be effective in our life, we need to ingest it. You know, Jeremiah said, Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were fine, and I did eat them. And thy word was unto me the rejoy and rejoicing of my heart. For I am called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. You know, think about it. Jeremiah was not liked. Nobody liked him. Josiah did. But Josiah wasn't living long while Jeremiah was living. And everybody hated him. He was persecuted. He was persecuted by his own family. In fact, in one point, Jeremiah 20, he says, I'm going to, I'm just, I'm just, I'm weary with forbearing. And I, you know, this is my translation. I'm just going to shut my mouth. I'm not going to say anything else. But he said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire. And I was weary with forbearing or holding back. And I could not stay. You see, Jeremiah had ingested the word. He'd taken it in as food. And it brought power in his life. It brought boldness in his life. You know, Jesus said in John 17, 8, in his, what is the Lord's Prayer, he said, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them. In other words, they've taken them in and have known surely that I came out from thee and they have believed that thou didst send me. See, they just didn't hear the words like a lot of people in, around Israel, in Israel did. No, they received them. They ingested them, if you will. They believed them. That's why Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, we have the effective power of life. And then thirdly, I want you to notice also, the precious preparation process. Now this is where we separate the men from the boys. Notice verses 6 through 9. Wherein you greatly rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Manifold means just Many different kinds. Temptations, of course, is trials. That the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, in whom the now you see him not, yet believing ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. You know, the Christian life is a wonderful, precious life. But it is not all peaches and cream. If you think it is, you haven't lived much of it. Not in our pilgrimage here. Remember, understand, we are in enemy territory. It's as if you're in a war. You're involved in a war between two countries and you are behind enemy, enemy lines. And you are in grave danger. And you are in the most dangerous and hottest parts of the battle. 
And the more you try to live for the Lord, the hotter the battle gets. Not all peaches and creeps. Jesus never told us it would be. In fact, he told us it would just be the opposite. John 16, 33, he says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be a good cheer, I have overcome the world. See, in the world you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have trouble. You know, he told them in John 16, that the world, or John 15, the world hates me and it's going to hate you. So don't be offended. I have told you these things. So don't be surprised if the world doesn't really like your Christianity or your Christian life or you living to please the Lord in front of them. Because they will not. And it may not because it may not because they think you're a bad guy. It may be just because they're full of the devil. In Acts 9, 15 and 16, when, when uh, Saul, who became Saul, Paul, was struck down on the road to Damascus, when the uh, Lord spoke to Ananias at Damascus and said, uh, uh, rise and go to a certain place and, and, and uh, lay your hands on Paul and, and then baptize him. And, and, of course, Ananias said, wait a minute, Lord. Ah, this guy's persecuting Christians everywhere he goes, and we've heard he's come here. And the Lord said he's a chosen vessel. And this is what he said. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And then he said this. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Suffer. You see, suffering is the lot of some of God's people. Now, I'm not God, and I'm not going to try and play God, but I often wondered, why is it some people suffer and some don't? You know, why is it that, I mean, you know, the Waldensians were slaughtered for their faith for hundreds of years during the Dark Ages, and why is it we live scot-free? There's an interesting verse in Colossians chapter 1, of course, Paul wrote this book also, and he, he knew what he was talking about. In Colossians 1, verse 23, it says, If you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and notice, I want you to notice this phrase, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. He said, I fill up that which is behind. I suffer to fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh. The point we'll make here is Christ was persecuted while he was on earth. He was hated while he's on earth. And he still is being hated and persecuted it's just it's at us as his representatives. Remember when, when uh, the Lord said to, or Paul, or Saul said to the Lord, Who art thou, Lord? 
He didn't say, I'm Stephen whom you stoned. He said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And Jesus is in heaven, bodily. It was his disciples that are being persecuted on earth. But he dwells with us by his spirit. He's in the midst of our church. He said, I'm in the midst of you. Revelation tells us that. So, so suffering in this life is part and parcel of the Christian life. But you know what? That power can give us all grace to overcome it. Revelation 2.10 says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. Ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon said this, quote, Indeed, it is the honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether that thou hast any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I never have had to use it in anything other than the ordinary affairs of life? where I could probably have done without it as well as with it. Is this to the honor and praise of thy faith? Dost thou think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God? Or bring to thee any great reward? If so, thou art mightily mistaken. Unquote. Hebrews 11.17 says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tried. Who tried him? God did. God tested, tried Abraham's faith. Of course, he offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son. You know, Abraham learned something about God that day that he didn't know before. In fact, he gave God another name. I think it's Jehovah Nissa. I think it is. The Lord doth provide. In fact, Abraham had already told Isaac prior to when he put Isaac on the altar, he had said, God will provide himself a lamb. See, but for Abraham to learn what he needed to learn, he had to be tried. To prove his faith, he had to be tried. Tested. And God does allow us to go through trials and tests in life to see if we really are what we think we are. Somebody said, faith is tested to show that it is sincere faith or true faith. Faith is tested to show the strength of faith. Faith is testified to pur- or tested to purify it. To burn away the dross from the gold. You notice Peter said it in verse 7. That the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. Though it be tried by with fire. Might be found in the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. See God tries our faith to see is it genuine? Is it strong? You know, your faith is only as strong as God is 
and this doesn't sound right, but I don't know how I'll say it, only as big as your God is to you. See, the problem, the difference between David and Saul was when, when Saul looked at Goliath, he saw Goliath. And that's all he saw. When David looked at Goliath, he saw a man that had cursed his God. And God was greater than he was. And he trusted in God. He, he, you see, his vision wasn't on Goliath. His vision was on what is right in the sight of God. And God is more powerful than this guy is. And he can give me the victory over him. It's as simple as that. Or James chapter 1. James chapter 1. <clears throat> James 1. You know, James talks about trials that are precious. Peter talks about trials that are precious. Paul talks about trials that are precious. Uh, and they knew something about them. They experienced them. But uh, I guess I'm not... Maybe I'm, I'm just not as spiritual as they are because I don't really count it all joy when I fall into diverse temptations. But that's what James 1, 2 says. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this. You see, here, here's our problem. We don't really, we, we, don't, we don't have enough faith to know that if there's a trial, God has something for us that's better than what we have right now. Remember, the Bible says that God is good, and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. So if God is trying your faith, he's trying to give you or teach you something better than what you know or have right now. You know, the big, our biggest problem is, is our flesh. We want what pleases us. And not what is for the glory of God so many times. So he says, Call all, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So do you want to be a, a fully grown up, mature child of God who, who, who is perfect, who is complete, who is whole, if you will, thoroughly furnished unto all good works, Endure some trials. Because that's what it's going to take to make you that. Verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God. And I believe all this has related to the trials here. Wisdom concerning the trials. Let him ask God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. You know, many times we, we, we face something in life and we don't know why. Sometimes we do, but many times we don't know why. Why, why is this happening? Job didn't know why. Job didn't understand why, his, why he lost all his children. He didn't understand why he lost all his wealth. He didn't understand that. He didn't understand why he lost his health. What's the purpose in all this? You know, well, his friend said, Job, you're a hypocrite. That's why. Job said not. I've... I've helped the poor. I've taken care of the widows. I've taken care of the fatherless. I'm not a hypocrite. I retain my integrity, he said. 
His wife said, curse God and die. He said, you talk like a foolish woman. Or really what that means is you're, like a, you're talking like a wicked woman. And he would not charge God foolishly. And yet, and he said, in fact, he said, though he slay me, I'm, I will trust in him. But he didn't understand. And so many times we don't understand, we need to ask God. He says, it giveth to him all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it should be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like the wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. We have to be careful not to say, or have the attitude that, this is fair, or this isn't right. I, by the way, welcome to real life. Life's not fair. Anything that we have in this life, other than being sent to hell, is a blessing from God. Really. And, and you know, faith really is... Somebody says, faith is obeying God regardless of circumstances, consequences, or feelings. And anything really that takes us away or hinders our walk with the Lord is an idol. And God hates idolatry. It can be a person. It can be a spouse. It could be children. Can be anything. But, you know, the scriptures are clear about one thing. If we suffer with him, we may be glorified together also. Again, in uh, verse 7, it says, The trial of your faith, being much more precious than a gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire might be found under the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. You know, Romans uh, uh, 8, 17 talks about trials and suffering. And it says, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Kim uh, Morgan said, that glory is tied to suffering, and God will accomplish in us a glory far heavier than any affliction we have suffered here. Affliction is not something to be endured in order to reach glory. It is the very process which creates the glory. Through travail comes birth. You know, it, it isn't, it isn't, it's the rough seas that make a good sailor, not the calm ones. And so, God uses trials to work in our lives to bring us to the place of being conformed to the image of a son. To bring us to the place where we are useful in his sight, or more useful in his sight. Um, and so we ought to consider these trials, we ought to greatly rejoice <laughs> in our trials. 
the uh, verse 8 uses it says this whom having not seen you love and whom thou now you see him not yet believing you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory the word unspeakable means it's inexpressible uh, it, it, it occurs only here in the new testament and describes a joy so profound as to be beyond the power of words to express one commentator said, their joy was no ordinary, ordinary earthbound joy. In fact, go to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. And really, if you really think about the characters that we're talking about here in the book of Acts, you have to say, wow, that's different. In Acts chapter 4, verse 31 you know, Peter and John were, out, were preaching in the temple. They're arrested and they're threatened. And, uh, and so they go to their own company and they report this. And in verse 31 it says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, they had great boldness. Just not too long ago, somebody said to Peter, Hey, aren't you one of those? And he said, No, I am not. And then another, and then finally another, and he said, no, I'm not incursed. And now it says, and they had all things common, and it wasn't too long ago, they were bickering among themselves who was going to be the greatest. And it wasn't too long ago, they were meeting in the upper room behind locked doors because they were afraid. And now they're going out and just boldly preaching the word of God wherever. They're not afraid of anybody. You know, and I get, it doesn't use the word joy here, but, but, but I would have to say, and I think I'm not really, inf maybe, maybe I'm inferring something here, but I think I'm inferring correctly. They were confident about it. They were enjoying it. They were full of joy. Look at chapter 5, verse 41, 40 and 41. Now they've been beaten. So it goes a little farther. It's a little more serious. They've been beaten. In fact, they were talking about killing them. But Gamaliel stands up and said, uh, you may be able to think about this. If this is of God, you're not going to be able to overthrow it. So you got to think about this. So they gave him a little space, but they did beat him. And verse 40 says, And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. See, these guys were being beaten, and they're full of joy. Now, I've never been beaten. 
never really been threatened, although I had a guy come around the corner with his gun drawn on me one time. He didn't have it pointing at me, but he did have it out. He, he just didn't know who I he was. He was, you know, unnerved that I knocked on his front door. Uh, I've been called some really nasty names. Been written long letters, nine pages. But you know what? For some reason, and I don't claim to be spiritual, but those things didn't unnerve me. And to, and and you see, God gives us grace, and God gives us power to endure these things if we'll simply. Obey his word. And to me, the best part of all this is, it's ours now. It is a present possession. Notice verse 3 again, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again unto a lively hope, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What is hath? Is it present? Is it past, present, or future? He hath begotten us. We're saved now. We have eternal life now. We can have the power of God in our life now. We're kept now. And we can know the presence of God now. Look at Ephesians. And, and you know, this of course this is taught all, all throughout the Bible. I'm sure this isn't new to you, but but it's encouraging, I think. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 11, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. You see, we have been blessed. He hath made us accepted. We're accepted in the beloved. We're accepted in Christ. We've obtained this inheritance. And we were sealed, that's past present, or past tense. You know, John in 1 John chapter 3 says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. And then he says in verse 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Now. We have it now. You see, the Christian life is the most precious life. It is the life of God. It is a quality of life that the world knows 
nothing up. It's a life of peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. A life of power, being God enabling us to overcome the sinful and destructive habits of life, of the old sin nature. We're no longer bound to them. You know, you see people, I see people all the time that are bound by some sinful habit and they can't, can't seem, and they're killing themselves. No, God has delivered us from these things through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This most precious life. Let's not take it for granted. Let's make the best of it. Let's live to the fullest potential that God has for us. And by do it, to do that, we have to seek ye first, came God and his righteousness. Might God help us? You know, we have a heavenly father that is full of compassion and full of mercy who loves us. Loves us so much, he gave his only begotten son. Do you think... A father like that is going to withhold any good thing from his children. Oh, he'll chasten us because he loves us, but it's for our good. Let's be obedient to him. In just his word, that his power might live in and through us and work in our lives. Let's pray.